This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 11th of December 2018. A podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is John, and here's my somewhat comedic co-host, Dave. Hey, somewhat comedic. I'll yeah. take that. <laughs> Tell the audience how much time, how many efforts it took you to do a simple clap. Ah, oh, that's that's too much information behind the curtain here. <laughs> Can't break that fourth wall. <sighs> too late. Anyway, it's a roaring news episode. It is. Do you have anything to talk about? Any news? Any any hot topics? Nope, nothing. Nothing. Nothing even Brexit related. No. No. We're not talking about that. We're hoping it all goes away. Ah, well, the Russians are using it in a phasing attack now, so hey, at least it did that. No more politics, please. <laughs> That's not politics. Anyway, uh, you go first or we go first? I think it's you. Yeah, because I did, I did my best. As uh, listeners may have may recall, my, epi- my my last news episode, my article was classified as thoroughly boring by uh, Dave. So I did my best to find something better, and I found an article through Twitter from nobody else than Noel Sharkey. And everybody knows Noel Sharkey, right? Everybody knows him. Please, if you don't Most. know Noel Sharkey, you should have watched Robot Wars more. He's the head judge of the Robot Wars uh, tournaments. And the article is also about robotics. It's called Mamma Mia, It's Sophia. A show robot or dangerous platform to mislead. It's a fairly lengthy article. It's a bit of fun. It actually goes through a whole bunch of history about how... um, in the beginning, serious, and in the end, maybe less serious people try to put robots on stages and tell us that they are fantastic miracles of science. The problem there being that um, through the ages, and again, and now more recently with the robot uh, Sophia, who actually got her, uh, was it again, Saudi citizenship in 2017? Something like that. Yep. Yeah. And there's a bit of AI washing going on here. And it's a bit of a thing at the moment. I mean, AI sells a lot of things. AI is the big platform seller today. It used to be machine learning. Machine learning is so 2000 now. So AI has to be it. And well, again, through a little uh, road down history lane, uh, Noel kind of shows us how other institutions try to pass off automatons as intelligent things and there's some fun stuff in there i mean you had the uh, was it again the electric yeah my my favorite being the 19 th- 1939 electro the smoking robot <laughs> <laughs> which i think was at the new york world's fair which just is it's perfectly <laughs> of the time you know the peak of robot uh, auto uh, you know uh, automation was a robot that could smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised they didn't have it drinking whiskey. <laughs> no, 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 that was that was too much. That was uh, whiskey yeah. for gentlemen. That wasn't for slaves. Because again, the robot is it's uh, Hungarian or Romanian or something like that for slave, right? Something along that. Yeah. Also, if you look at it, there's a little videos uh, embedded in the article. It's uh, on the Forbes mm. website, by the way. It'll be a link in the show notes, of course. And if you look at the little uh, video film for that one, the remote control, by lack of a better name, is a telephone. So both Electro <laughs> and the previous one, which was Televox, were actually controlled by talking into an old-style telephone <laughs> handset and giving it commands like walk forward and stuff. 
But uh, <laughs> hey, it worked. And of course, in those sort days, be, well, I, I would be I would be more amused to see the outtakes from some of these than I am <laughs> to watch the actual videos. I'm sure that would be way funnier. Uh, well, actually, that's one of the things that uh, No Sharky talks about because he did a set in uh, I don't know when it was, but with the Asimo robots that was made by Honda, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was. And he's actually talking about how it was totally scripted that he. They're always going to put those steps. He had to walk here and there, look this way, ask these phrases, because it was all pre-scripted. Mm. And again, it's wonderful how these automatons can actually do this stuff. And if you look at the more recent stuff from, uh, what's the uh, uh, the big robot manufacturer there? It used to be a, a Google affiliate as well. Um, doing a lot for DARPA. It must be at the end of the article. Oh. Something, something. I forget yeah. the name. I had it in my head just a minute ago before we started it. Uh, but anyway, they uh, had these things doing a lot of stuff. Uh, it's going very fast at the moment, where they can just walk across all kinds of terrain, jump up and down, be untethered. Yeah, uh, very very easily go upstairs and very rough terrain, yeah, specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you compare that to little Asimo robot, which is only, what, five, uh, maybe ten years? It's a, it's a world of difference there. One of the differences he uh, he explains, uh, comparing all those different robots being published, uh, shown to the public, were that in some occasions the manufacturer was kind of honest about it's say automaton. It can if I press this button, this gear starts turning and it starts walking, and that's all fine. That's just advances in electronics and mechanics and robotics. That's great. But some others, and most notably the more recent Sophia. They're actually, their creators are trying to pass them off as real artificial intelligence um, things that will replace people. And there's no talk about Sophia being put in as a receptionist and things like that. While it's very clear, and Nozharki gives a lot of examples why he can confidently say that this is just an automaton, that it does not have AI. It has a bit of natural language processing. It yeah. has a neural network in there that uh, doesn't compare to anything Asimov ever thought about, but is able to do some decision-making. But in no way, shape, or form is this AI. But things like a government giving it um, a citizen status, that really makes it hard for people that understand what's happening behind the scenes to be able to still tell people, yeah, it's a nice toy, but... But no, look, it's a citizen of Saudi Arabia now, so it has to be AI. And yeah, this whole AI washing is um, getting yeah, harder and harder to disregard. And it's hard. It makes my job hard as well, because I can't count the number of times I've come to a customer to talk about machine learning and, and deep learning and things like that. And people just expect magic these days. I mean, what what are some of the the sort of use cases that you that you see right now that you think are sort of very very achievable with sort of today's AI? Uh, very little, and especially you need to have a pretty small application domain, if that's a, a word. Yeah, uh, and one of the things that this Sophia robot, for example, does it it knows everything about everything. That's very hard, even for humans. That's very hard. The more res- yeah. reduced your environment is, the more intelligent it can be. It can be wide and shallow, or deep and and small. 
And that's basically it. So you see a lot happening in, for example, uh, logistics. Um, yeah. Looking at part pickers in, in warehouses or UPS vans going from A to B, calculating what the best result is, the best, uh, the, the most effective route is. Yeah. Earlier, that was done on basis of statistics and pretty yeah simple rule-based sets. These mm-hmm. days, these models can actually take a lot of stuff into account, even looking at, okay, I just sent you to do this uh, bucket uh, picking, and typically it takes you 10 minutes. Today it took you 8 minutes, so apparently you're fit and, and willing to work, so I'm going to adjust the next picking path for you to make it, make it a bit more faster, things like that. So it, it makes it a lot more flexible, where the old style mm-hmm. was a lot, a lot more rigid. But again, you have to have reduced uh, application domain because the, the, when you, one of the examples, for example, is that thing that Google demonstrated a while ago. It's called Duo or something, where they had a voice yeah. uh, chat thing. Yeah, and also that's also not a product that you can apparently buy and put into production, or there's some customers doing stuff with it. But also, there I've read articles that if again, if the domain is very small. It can do quite a bit, and that's actually quite simplified compared to a robot like Sophia. The dual thing is just a natural language processing and being able to come up with a good reply. But again, you can't have the same uh, dual model serve as the receptionist for a restaurant and a um, hairdresser, for example. Yeah, yeah. And um, the other, I was going to say, the other one that often comes up is the sort of the chat bot pop up on the majority of, you know, sales related websites mm-hmm. that it, it has, I mean, it has an understanding of what the majority of people are there to do. They're either there to find out more information about a particular product, or maybe they're looking to order a product or, you know, maybe they, they have some questions around something else. And so just routing though, you know, yeah, having some, some simple conversations to work out what the person wants and to route them to, through to the right people, relatively simple. Yeah, you can see how, how people are trying to deploy these stuffs, because uh, uh, of these things, I should say, these stuffs, that's not English. Because uh, uh, at Microsoft, I'm going to put my Microsoft hat on for a second here, uh, the simplest way of having a chatbot there is called the Q&A maker. And it's actually, mm-hmm. actually taking a, a, a copy of your FAQ on your website which is questions and answers, yep. and feeding that to the bot framework. And at that point, if you pretty much ask it the exact question that's in the FAQ, or it can be slightly variations on it, but it has to be pretty close, it'll give you the, the stock answer for that question. And that's the simplest bot you have. And the, the annoying, well, I'm going to say annoying thing is that 80% of the bots out there are not much more than that. On the other end of the spectrum, there's bots that actually be- are becoming, I'm not going to say intelligent because that's too far, but are becoming much more flexible. But in that case, the whole backend is actually a graph network with dependencies and vertices. So it's a whole different way of, of expressing that. Because natural language processing is one thing that's just being able to see what somebody typed or said and translated in objects and, and, and ideas, let's say. But then you have to, the bot needs to do something with that stuff. And that's where the, the next step is. And a lot of effort has been put on that front piece, the NLP, the natural, natural language understanding of those uh, automated systems. And Duo actually is just a chat bot that also has speech to text in front of it. 
And what you're seeing now is that specialized uh, companies are looking at that back end and how you can step away from, again, rule-based uh, tree-based rule trees uh, to decide how to reply and also there be able to be a bit more broader in the domain. But uh, yeah, I haven't seen that much good bots out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the I'm, I'm sure it was IKEA that had one on their website even a very, very long time ago, actually, um, probably over 10 years ago. So they, it's it's been sort of developing for a while, but they, they seem to be everywhere now, whereas mm. really it was only sort of a handful of places that were <laughs> using them originally. Yeah, well, I, I predicted they would be everywhere at some point. Um, but yeah. the old ones were very rule-based, and the biggest yeah. issue there is that maintenance is almost impossible. It takes so yeah. much effort to keep them up to date, because with the IKEA one, when a new product range gets added, they have to manually, probably, they had to manually change all the code to include that, wo- that word, that horrible uh, Scandinavian word that they use for the, <laughs> for the products to put that also in all of the if then else uh, tests in there and definitely if you want to have a bot that's flexible you can't be doing that kind of low level maintenance because whenever you change something in that kind of code structure it has to go to dev test quality assurance where you can roll it out again and by the time it's out you have to change it again that just doesn't work. That's why in the new bots uh, frameworks, you see a clear separation using a little bit of the the, the model um, design database approach where you have that piece of uh, logic. I was going to say intelligence again. So I say logic <laughs> that does the NLP. That's one thing that's totally separate. The one the, the thing that does the connect, connections between, okay, this is the subject matter that's being asked about. This is the answer. I'm going to give it to it. That's also its own uh, encapsulated thing. And then the presentation later is also totally separate. And that allows you to, yeah, more or less be able to maintain these things or have them even auto-maintain themselves. Because one of the, 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 the best things you can do with a bot is when it can't answer the question or doesn't understand the question, make sure that gets captured and fed back into the models to retrain yeah. them. Be careful, though, because at a certain point, things will go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, surely that's always the case with AI. Eventually, you know, Skynet will happen and kaboom. Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, I still think we're very far away from actually having artificial intelligence as in intelligence that is creative and has a sense of itself. And I mean, if you compare the, the human brain, how many neurons are in there, even if you're only using a tenth of that, our computers are nowhere near that still. So no Skynet tomorrow then? Uh, well, Skynet uh, it has existed for uh, 20, 30, 40 years because that's what used to be the Belgian uh, telecom company. <laughs> 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 I'm not entirely sure if, if they had the name before or after the movies, but uh, it's been a, a source of a lot of uh, laughter and fun. <laughs> but uh, no, that's Skynet, even though uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, rest in peace, said he, they were going to take over the world soon. And I don't know, this was Elon Musk uh, also in favor of, against the... Against. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, on the one hand, 
it's going very fast and you have no idea where it's going to end in the next 10 years. But there's a difference between evolutionary and even revolutionary increases of performance and uh, logic functions there and the really major step you need to go from a programmed machine, even if it's self-programmed, to something that actually has a sense of itself. And I mean... Uh, there's plenty of books out there to read about the subject. We don't even know to define what artificial intelligence actually should mean because there's at least four different uh, ways of looking at that. And if you want to have, I mean, I'm going to avoid making this another boring subject by going into too much detail (laughs) there. But uh, there's some great books out there and I'm looking if I have my book here. Um, No, I don't have it, but there's... There's a kind of a standard work on that. And we will put a link in the show notes. Uh, maybe, maybe. I just have to find it again first. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've cleaned up my computer recently and it's all uh, EPUBs, of course. Now I can't find anything anymore. Well, <sighs> moving on from... Yep. The wonderful world of AI washing to... I was going to say money laundering, but it's not money laundering at all. Um, It is what the image does suggest. suggest. It it, it does a huge pile of money. Um, So the article is titled... So it's from the Linux Journal. Um, It's actually from nearly a month ago now, but it was just too good good not to talk about. It just didn't fit into our timing earlier on. And this is... Time for net giants to pay fairly for the open source on which they depend. Um, this article came out after there had been a few sort of incidents in the open source community of organizations um, adding clauses to their uh, various licenses um, that would sort of forbid or otherwise. Um, modify what either what organizations can do with it or who actually can use it, mm-hmm. which is in direct contravention to the actual wording and very much the spirit of you know, open source as a whole. So the first one with it, uh, was Learner, which um, is just a, a tool for managing JavaScript projects with multiple packages. Um, and they'd had a uh, an issue with uh, U.S. Customs in, uh, and Enforcement, and so U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and some of their um, action, I guess, against um, families and that sort of thing. And so they decided, as as part of a protest, they would add an extra cause to their license which forbade a list of companies, including uh, Microsoft, mm-hmm. uh, Palantir, Amazon, Motorola, and Dell from being permitted to use the code, which on the on the kind of, on the surface of it, you would sort of initially think, well, it's, it's, their, it's, their, it's their project. Surely they can do whatever they like within reason. But actually, that's, that's not really how it works. Um <laughs> You can't just say that something is, in this case, MIT license to some people and not to others. It's it's just it's not the way that these kind of things work. And true true to form, um, 
you know, while some people were supportive of the uh, motivation behind the protest, um, there were there was also sort of outcry about the the fact that it does um, break the spirit of the open source license and the the sort of the, the actual meaning for it, and obviously does actually violate the license itself. So they did um, they did revert the change and uh, everything went relatively speaking back to normal. Um, and that's sort of, I guess that's one angle where the developers or the people behind the project are more sort of protesting against a certain situation that maybe they don't have any direct input to, but they feel that this is a way of, of getting their thoughts out there that they, they disagree with something that's happening. And so more of a, I guess, a political statement, yeah. for want of a better phrase. Um, the second one, though, um, was, and I think this one blew up far more, um, at least from my observation, which was Redis, mm-hmm. um, the open source, open source uh, BSD-licensed in-memory data structure store used as a database cache and a message broker. And they essentially added um, a sort of uh, an extra commons cause to the open source license which was really just trying to stop organizations um that would otherwise take redis and then just sell it as a service um so the example they gave they gave is amazon takes redis uh, gives very little back runs it as a service rebranded as aws elasticache um you know the the same sort of hap- thing happens with a variety of other open source projects and a variety of primarily cloud but not entirely cloud vendors um and you know they the interesting wording towards the end of this is to be clear this is not illegal but we think it is wrong and not conducive to sustainable open source communities um so in if you look at some other things that have been happening um, in the sort of IT industry, or well, specifically in the big data industry, if you, if I want to look a little bit closer to home, um, then you can look at some of the uh, later, the, some of the latest offerings from HortonWorks, which are still 100% open source, but they are now AGPL licensed, um, and that's you know rather than uh, Apache licensed, and that is clearly a move to. Um, get people that are using this to contribute back to it, not just to take the stuff, consume it internally, and and never give back any of their uh, any of their enhancements. So it, it's sort of a it's a bit of an interesting time right now where open source has become very prevalent across industries, not just web industries and cloud vendors, but but everywhere. And the, the the sort of thrust of the article is that, um, you know, sometimes the organizations do give back in some way. Sometimes they provide bug reports and sometimes they provide fixes and that's, that's all good. Um, but uh, the sort of the, the, the final thrust of the article is very much around um, that these organizations really should be paying, you know, the, the people behind these products, not just because it's under their own interest to do so, do so, but 
that in many cases, a lot of these, especially the big um, net giants, are going through a time at the moment where they are seen as very much the villains of uh, of a lot of things right now. I mean, Facebook seem to be bouncing from <laughs> bad to worse right now um, and, uh, and continue to do so. So, you know, possibly this is a chance for them to do something, you know, more on the public relations front is what the article suggests. I'm not quite sure that will have um, a PR impact equal to mm-hmm. some of the uh, somewhat more um, <laughs> questionable things. Right. That's, yeah, exactly. Very different audience and different, uh, certainly different scale of audience too. But, I mean, I like the... I like the points that the article is trying to get to, which is, I think, really just that if you're consuming this, you should also expect to pay for it, just because it is completely open source. Um, that that doesn't mean necessarily that you shouldn't be a part of that community in some way, um, and just sort of consuming stuff um, from start to finish and, and not really giving anything back is is also not really in the spirit of, of an open source community. So, yeah, yeah, but on the other hand, they have decided to use that open source license and give everybody uh, rights to use the thing in the hopes that they will do the right thing. And yeah, that's basically what the license says. So you can't Indeed. be mad if after the fact that some people won't listen to it. Now, going back to the article uh, specifically, the two examples they gave here, the uh, Redis and the uh, Learner thing, there are two very different examples where in the first one, as you said, they were yeah. trying to make a political statement. And that, I think, uh, is very close to a hostage situation. And that should never be okay. Not, not even, I, I don't understand how they even try to do this. I mean, we have a piece of uh, software that everybody wants to use yeah. now because we think the way you do think is wrong. You will not longer be able to use it until you change that. That's blackmail. So that's just bad i mean that's even that's against the, the the whole idea of open source and free freedom of speech and everything so i have no sympathy at all with those guys <laughs> but no. they changed the story so all's good again the second one with redis that was particularly directed against amazon and i think we've thought we've mentioned this before that amazon is one of the big companies that uh, commits the fewest uh, to open source in general they use I mean the whole the, the whole AWS is pretty much running on top of uh, open source and they yep. give back very very little if anything at all and in this case I can this is a lot closer to the pure technical thing and I have a bit more understanding why they went that way but again, if you're going to give it out as open source, it's have to be open source for everybody. You can't you can't decide who the good guys and the bad guys are. Yep. Now on that on that subject though, it has improved a lot. I mean, if you look at the the big net uh, companies as you as you you call them, uh, Google gives away pretty uh, quite a bit. Uh, Microsoft, I'm happy to say, is also giving out uh, more and more. It's a mm-hmm. big change. I mean, five years ago, I would not be able to say that, but happy yeah. to say that these days they have seen the light. IBM, same thing. Five, ten years ago, totally closed. These days, they're very active. So it is changing. And the reason yeah. it's changing is because they're seeing a, 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 a benefit of things being open source. 
they yeah. see that it goes faster, that more fun stuff happens and not fun in haha fun, but fun in, oh God, that's interesting. I'm going to use this too. And it just becomes, it, it makes sense to give back because what you give back will grow and come back to you tenfold. That's the whole idea, right? Indeed, indeed. And uh, and the fact that, you know, every, a group of, of people working together can get can come up with a better solution than than people working in isolation. And even better than that, I'm going to go one step further than that. I'm just going to use the, mm-hmm. the, the phrasing you used in our previous <laughs> art, uh, episode. <laughs> uh, it's not just more people, but more groups of people. Because yeah, yeah. if more people at the same place look at it, they'll have the same, uh, quote-unquote, myopic view of their environment, their way of thinking. Because if you work for a certain company or certain environment, you will have a certain way of thinking because that's when, how people come together. By putting it in the open source, you'll have different views. You'll have the business, well, maybe not business, but you have people that are busy in finance looking at things that are done in retail, that are done in computer tech, and that gives you a lot a lot of richer feeding ground to get new inf- new uh, new ideas. And that really, that really yeah. changes things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, on the point of going to a GPL license of a, of, instead of an uh, Apache license, I don't think it's going to change much because one of the biggest uh, open source projects out there that are used everywhere i think it's called busybox the the little linux kernel mm-hmm. that is in every router switch uh, embedded device out there that's a gpl thing as far as i know and everybody uses it nobody pays for it and nobody uh, commits back to it uh i didn't say gpl though i said a gpl and what's the difference between gpl and a gpl I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> then why do you correct me? <laughs> because I know that they're different, but I'm not going to get dragged into a different different license conversation no. on but on the, this. It's just... The, the idea of a GPL yeah, is much. that when you use the open source and you change things, you have to commit it back to open source. And I'm assuming that the AGPL is going to be similar at least. So I'm not talking about AGPL, but GPL, that's the gist of it. And the complaint about a lot of BusyBox usage is that all of these... Switch vendors and stuff use BusyBox as the kernel. They change things, obviously, to make it run on their thing, and almost nobody gives back their changes because it's proprietary software, because then you will be able to hack my device. We don't want that. Yeah, let's let's not get dragged down the rabbit hole of, of open source isn't secure. Well, open source is secure because it's open source. From the moment you start putting black box stuff in there, you kind of kill the OPD yeah. security in that part. Yeah, exactly. Security through, what was it again? Uh, obscurity? Th- security through obscurity, yes. That's, it uh, still exists out there, unfortunately. But there we go. Yeah, nobody knows where I live, so I will never be burgled. By the way, for anyone wanting Jon's address, <laughs> check, check the link in the show notes. <laughs> well, uh, no, because then people will feel obligated to send me presents and stuff, and let's not do that. Oh, that's true. We, we wouldn't want that. We wouldn't uh, want that. I just broke my pen, sure. so if anybody can send me a new pen, I would be appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> I can send you a very limited edition Hortonworks one. How's that? I think I have that. That's the one I just broke, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely about time we sent you a new one then. And so, and anything else from you? No, I think we've done enough uh, damage for today. I think so. In that case, that is probably all the time we have today. Hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode, but until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org 
where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms and other feedback. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is John. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. Bye.